0: Now from the vistas of Monument Valley, it's the IGN Digitized. So please welcome two rejects from the Magnificent Seven: Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. And Bob, to whom do we owe that outrageous opening? Yul Brenner. No, don't smoke. Come on. Stuart Moncure, if you really want to know. Yes, we do want to know. Thank you, Stuart. Um, Wade, well, I have
1: an easy question for you.
0: Yes, hit me with it.
1: we got this book called uh, Star Wars vs. Star Trek. Yes. From Matt Forbeck. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd want to actually read this book because it's really, really deep nerd. Yeah. But I figure I can ask Wade some questions. Go
0: ahead. Hit me.
1: Because there's a quiz. Do it. Before every chapter. Ah, now, I'm going to make this – I'll make it very simple. Okay. And then throughout the show, I'll thread them in, and they will become increasingly more difficult.
0: I see. That's earth, what I'm in for, is it? Yes. Okay.
1: The earth scientist who invented the first warp drive known to humans was – you can probably answer this without the uh,
0: – Oh, multiple choice?
1: Not the multiple choice. Yes. Uh, A, Jonathan Archer. B, Zefram Cochran. C, Montgomery Scott. D, Harry Kim. Uh,
0: that would be Zefram Cochrane, but only one actor portrayed him properly –
1: you're going to say that's the actor from the TV series, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, because the guy from Babe did a horrible job in, that, in the movie.
1: All right. No one likes you. Yeah. Um, okay, you ready? It was ridiculous. What besides a hyperdrive mm-hmm. does a ship need to be able to travel safely through hyperspace? So now we're talking about Star Wars. Yes. Uh, what besides hyperdrive does a ship need to be able to travel safely through hyperspace? A, seatbelts. B, tachyon generators. C, a force-sensitive navigator, uh, or D, pristine calculations?
0: Good grief. Uh, well, that's it's a gotta weird be, question. It's got to be the tachyon thing.
1: No, it's pristine calculations. I, that, that must be based on a piece of dialogue from the movies. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. Whatever. All right, this book is lame. But you know what? We're going to keep asking questions from <laughs> it because uh, the questions are fun.
0: You know, we, uh, and we also have some very, very sad news uh, this week. A longtime listener of the show, a uh, long time fellow DVD aficionado actually passed away about a week and a half ago uh completely unexpectedly and uh really took us by surprise i think you you found out about it completely like second hand
1: you know what i can't remember how i found out about it actually i really can't well but uh it was absolutely shocking
0: yeah jeffrey rosado uh who's been a friend of the show for a very very long time uh passed away this last week and uh at a rather premature age and it's it's a uh, Enormously sad, and we wish uh, his friends and family all the best, and, and offer our very, very most heartfelt condolences. Uh, Jeffrey was a really good guy; emailed us very often, and uh, actually, and we were
1: part of his Oscar broadcast. You know, he would do the Oscar show every year. <laughs> he
0: would. He ran. He did his own uh, his own podcast called the uh, the DVD Marquee, and uh, he, you know, he he really was a, a huge fan. I mean, the last email we got from him actually, he uh, was really excited about the Dark Shadows movie, Johnny Depp, and. Uh, you know, stepping into the uh, the the the, Barn, the yeah. Barnabas Collins part, and um, you know that really excited him, and uh, he unfortunately won't see it come to fruition, at least not from an earthly vantage. But you know, I did want to, I went back and um, looked up uh, the very first email that he ever sent, sent us, and uh, it, uh, it it was really very reassuring. It was one of those. This is back in two thousand seven, and uh, it was oddly enough July fifth. 2007. Really? Which is the day that we are recording this. We don't usually say what day we're recording this, but today is July 5th, the day after the holiday, and uh, this was exactly four years ago, which is kind of surreal in a way. Uh, he wrote us, and at the time he said, hi, Wade and Mark, as a fellow podcaster and huge movie buff slash collector, your show is like oral crack. I'm jealous and inspired at the same time. You guys are a fabulous team. If you had a morning show on Sirius, I'd sign up. I was in radio for a while back in the 80s, and you guys have the stuff to be a great morning team without all the kiss-ass sidekicks. Wacky sound effects and jokes that might be funny, but they're not that funny. Cute as a kick-ass sidekick. Anyway, I love your show and would appreciate it if you'd give my show a listen and offer any suggestions or constructive criticism. That is, if you guys ever have the time. And uh, that was exactly four years ago today. And that
1: was the beginning of an of, of a relationship. Uh, it was via email and phone calls. We would do his uh, Oscar show yeah, every was, year.
0: We did, and, and you know it was a joy. And he was uh, he was a real pro, and he really knew his stuff. And uh, it very often, uh, I think, humbled us how much he knew and how valid his insights were. And it's uh, it's it's a real loss. It's a loss to us, uh, as, you know, for our show. But I think it's just a loss to to, to people in general. You know, he was a was a really good guy and uh, genuine through and through, and he'll be missed.
1: Now, I'm not sure if anyone's taking over his, uh, his podcast or don't maybe know. the
0: Oscar don't know. show,
1: but whoever, they have very big shoes to fill.
0: Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So with that, we'll, we're going to dedicate this show to uh, Jeffrey Rosado uh, and his memory, and uh, we wish again all of all the very, very best to his friends and family that they uh, carry on without him, but carry on his memory as well.
1: So, Wade, Jeffrey yes. would want us to start with the good stuff. He would not the crap you always start. You're right.
0: With. He'd want us so to. So go for
1: the Criterion right off the bat. Just do it.
0: You know what? We've got a pile of foreign films here and uh, a fabulous Criterion uh, double. It's not a double feature. It's a double release, a couple of Louis Malle films. And, uh, you know, Louis Malle, one of the great filmmakers of all time. Lame. Kind of. Well, you know, he, <laughs> hey, man, he was, he was married to uh, Candace Bergen.
1: Candy Bergen, if you Candy, know
0: Candy, that's right. Candy was a, was a young girl. Uh, but Louis Malle, you know, the interesting thing about Louis Mal, he's he's not part of the French New Wave, technically, but he came around at the same time. And he made films that a lot of people like to associate with the new wave. But the new wave was very specifically all those guys that knew each other. They came from Cahiers du Cinéma. You know, it was Godard and, and uh, Chabral and Truffaut. And, and it was this very specific group that came out of that movement. And had a very specific philosophy behind them. And Louis Malle was just making movies at the same time. But he wasn't really part of their milieu. Mm-hmm. And uh, these two films are absolute classics, and it's wonderful that they're getting this treatment. The One of them is one of his very earliest, which is uh, right from that new wave period. That is Zazie dans le metro. Zazie in the metro. And uh, it's delightful. It stars the absolutely fantastic Catherine de Mongeau as the, uh, the title 10-year-old character who has this uh, fantastic weekend in Paris with, uh, with her uncle, played by Philippe Noiret, a much younger Philippe Noiret, and uh, it, it's, this is just a delightful film it's, you know, it's not 400 Blows but it, it's a great companion piece of the 400 Blows and uh, you just, it just it, true, unbelievable charm and uh, there's a, there are some great extras on here, archival radio, uh, video interviews with, uh, with Louis Mal and the novelist and, uh, and Catherine uh, de Mongeau as well uh, screenwriter of the film is another interesting tidbit. You know who wrote this?
1: Oh, yeah. It was, um, it was uh, Michael Bay.
0: There you go. Uh, Jean-Paul Rapineau. The same Jean-Paul Rapineau who uh, wrote and directed the fantastic Cyrano de Bergerac with uh, Depardieu of, of 1991 or 92, whatever yes. that was. This It was an amazing film. The thing about Rapineau is he makes one film like every 20 years. And I'm not kidding. It really, it's like he's, he's made... He's
1: Malick-esque.
0: It's insane how, how rarely he works, and he's been asked about it, and he just says, well, it takes me a long time to get my enthusiasm up. It's like, geez, guy, really? Seriously?
1: As long as he can uh, support himself.
0: I guess, I guess. You know, he also did A Horseman on the Roof, which, had, which was butchered in its release here. I'm still waiting for that original cut to get released here. But anyway, yes, uh, Zazie dans le metro on Blu-ray. On a fantastic Blu-ray, I might add. Uh, you know, brilliant color from 1960. Really, you know, just the one thing that you didn't see in a lot of uh, French New Wave stuff at the time was really bright color. 1960 is beautiful. And then uh another fantastic color film from Louis Malle, this one much later, 1975, and this is less known actually. This is a Black Moon. And um I'm relatively unfamiliar with Black Moon, I gotta say, but it is a gorgeous film, beautifully shot by Sven Nyquist. or is it Nyquist? Is it Nyquist? Is it, Nyquist? Is it I usually go for
1: the I usually go for the Nyquil. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm barely American. Yeah, okay. I barely speak English, let alone yeah. Swedish. So, so, Sven Nyquil. I would go Sven Nyquist.
0: Okay. Yes. All right, because it's not Nyquil. If you walk no. into the drugstore and say, I, I, "I need some Nyquil." They wouldn't know what to give you.
1: That is, uh, y- yes, they will uh, so, give you a kick in the butt to get you out of the store. So
0: it would be Nyquil and Nyquist. Okay, very true. I think we've determined exactly what that is. Very good. Anyway, the uh, this is this is an odd, almost kind of a surreal film. Really, uh, Black Moon stars Catherine Harrison uh, as this woman who, in the in, it's like kind of a World War III scenario. And uh, she holes up in this farmhouse and uh, bumps up into this very peculiar family. It's, uh, it's really an odd movie, and I'm not sure that I like it, though I respect it, but it definitely is worth a look. And you know, anything that Criterion decides is, is worth a look is worth a look. There's an interview with Louis on here uh, from way back when, obviously, since he is deceased, there's also an alternate French dubbed soundtrack since this is an English language film. And, um, yeah, you know, check it's it out.
1: Ma- it's more ma- in experimental mode. It, it's it, sort well, of post apocalyptic. Well, and, and, and when uh, he got
0: into that mode, talking like, animals. When he got into that mode, like, uh, what was the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the Chekhov thing? Um, Star Trek? N- thank you. Exactly. Oh, hey,
1: well, by the way, here's another Star Trek question. Oh, dear.
0: No, Vanya uh, on 42nd Street. Yes. That was just not right. That was wrong.
1: The, um, Oh, this one's easy. I'm really hit me, hit me. Oh, okay. I, you know what? This hit one's, this, one this, one's this one's harder. Okay. Starfleet's first ship capable of warp five was the A Defiant, mm-hmm. B the Enterprise NXO one, C the Titan, or D the Bird of Prey. Starfleet's first ship capable of warp five was either the either the Defiant, the Defiant, the Enterprise NXO one, the Titan, or the Bird of Prey. The Defiant. Oh, the answer is the uh, Enterprise NX-01. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, you know what? I will. I'll, I'll, here, here, here's a gimme So to, okay. get, to get you back into it. Get me back into it. The, uh, the starship that Khan Noonien Singh commanded was the A, Endeavor, B, Botany Bay,
0: C, Vengeance, or D, Alcatraz? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to say uh, Andy Griffith. You don't know the answer to that? No, go ahead. Hit me again. I, 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 I'm barely listening. <laughs> what was it?
1: The starship Khan Noonien Singh commanded.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was Botany Bay.
1: Thank you. Thank Jesus Christ. I just, I'm just Th- testing you. That was a gimme. I know. Because you weren't paying attention the first time I, I said it. I wasn't paying it.
0: attention because I exactly. want to talk about Connie Chikawa's The Macchioka Sisters, which is another wonderful Criterion release this week. Uh, this film actually had a theatrical release uh, just n- like four or five weeks ago. Limited on, uh, you know, at least here in Los Angeles, very limited, but it was uh, a beautiful, beautiful new print that was... Uh, so who
1: distributed that? Was that a Janus thing?
0: That's a Janus thing. Janus uh, did it, I think, through Kino, maybe, but I'd have to go look. Because Janus
1: is the film. Well, it's a library, it's a library. that has a
0: relationship with uh, Criterion. So pretty much most of the Janus stuff winds up on Criterion.
1: Right, But Janus yeah. is not a distributor. No, they're, Janus they're is a library. Not. They're basically
0: a library, which can be a distributor if you actually go out and do it. Um, no, this is, this is actually a, a beautiful, wonderful pastoral film. Uh, the Makioka Sisters, Kanichikawa, Chikawa, one of the great uh, directors of the Japanese New Wave, uh, made this right at the end of his career in 1983. And uh, it is just gorgeous. It is wonderfully photographed. It's a fantastic Blu-ray. And uh, it's basically the story of um, these four sisters who are uh, trying to sort of maintain their, their family's business. Uh, just Making kimonos. Just prior to World War II.
1: Making kimonos
0: exactly, and uh, you know it's 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 a, it reminds me in many respects of uh, Eat Drink Man Woman. Uh, it has kind of similar dynamics, and you could almost say it has like a King Lear dynamic in, in some respects too, but except without the king, just you know the same and much less leering children, and much le, way less leering. But it is uh, it you know what's wonderful about this in so many films that have World War Two as a backdrop or certainly the historical uh, turmoil is that there's something about... You can write a great drama, but when you know that something in the world is about to transpire at the same time, like in Dr. Zhivago, you know, in Dr. Zhivago, everything is the backdrop of the Russian Civil War. It's, it's, it's really, it just gives it that added heft, you know? It's like, Sound of Music, lovely film, but it's got Nazis, and that somehow makes it weightier. And it's the same thing here. It's a lovely film, so highly, highly recommended. Not a lot by way of extras. Don't you but, find it
1: strange that the Sound of Music is about Nazis, not really. I mean, can you, can you imagine a musical like a like a musical like a beloved musical wins 100 Oscars yeah. all about like t- Islamic terrorists?
0: Uh, someday. <laughs> You know, I mean, sound of, music, sound, of music, yeah, sound of Music was, you know, 20 years after the end of World War II. Okay,
1: so in, in so. 2021, there'll be a, music. a musical starring like, uh, I don't know, uh, Anne Hathaway and uh, Nicole Kidman as her mother. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of terrorists blow up the World Trade Center. I mean, it just doesn't compute.
0: Uh, uh, you know what? We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. All right. just give it time. Uh, A couple of latecomers, well, er, you know, we're latecomers to both of these, but these came out a little while ago. There's a uh, a double feature on Blu-ray from the people at Warner Brothers. This was, uh, we'd hoped to talk about this in tandem with the uh, new Arthur, the horrible, dreadful remake, but uh, we didn't get it in time. We got it now, and uh, for good reason, because the original Arthur is so much better. This is a double feature of Arthur and Arthur 2 on the rocks, the sequel being horrible. But uh, still better than the remake. Uh,
1: Only because, well, you know what? Here's the thing. Obviously, the original director, Steve Gordon, had passed away. Which
0: is so, so sad. It's just unbelievable.
1: And it was years before they actually were able to get Arthur II off the ground with Buddy York and his director. Because Arthur was in 81. Arthur II was in 88. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know in That's a long ba- time Back then, that was considered Like an eternity well, And they finally get it together And make this movie They get Dudley Moore back Liza Minnelli's back And it is so dreadful
0: it, It's dreadful It is dreadful But not as dreadful as the remake That is true But they didn't get bad people to do it I mean, uh, you know uh, Andy Breckman, who wrote it not a, not a slouch Andy Breckman's written a lot of good stuff And uh, Bud Yorkin Directed it Yeah, he's a guy
1: yeah, He's a Does yeah. stuff he's,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. he's
1: a guy, does stuff
0: also uh Soil and Green out on Blu-ray.
1: Soil and Green. It's
0: um, I won't give it away. It's a so so Blu-ray. I I got to say I the, the a lot of these kind of uh gritty 70s films where they started using really uh, much faster color Kodak stock. They don't transfer that impressively to Blu-ray.
1: You know what there's something very kind of smeary about them.
0: That's it. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like it's like like it's meshing well with with the with the resolution for some reason. But I don't, you know, I don't what? know what it is.
1: But there, you know, f- usually science fiction films of this vintage don't hold up. I mean, yes, for Planet of the Apes, although that's a little earlier. Yeah, this one does. This one kind of does. I it mean, totally it really, it's not bad.
0: No, it's great. It's a great film. Uh, the Blu-ray has a commentary by Richard Fleischer and uh, Lee Taylor Young, as well as a couple of uh, old original feature uh, little featurette deals.
1: I love the uh, vintage featurettes. Those are
0: awesome. This <laughs> well, yeah assuming that they are, you know, not l- for a lame movie. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Wait, well, you're a hater, aren't you?
0: Uh, no, uh, you know, it's just it's sad, man. One of our fans died.
1: It doesn't leave it
0: doesn't leave us with very many.
1: That is bizarre. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How dare you? Anyway. Uh oh, would you like me to talk about this? Yes, I would. You know, uh it's been a while since uh, we thought of this film, but it was highly acclaimed at the time. People loved *Jagged it, Edge*.
0: It was the beginning. You know what, uh, Esser Haas, That was the beginning of a streak. He said, "Hey, man, I can get a lot of mileage out of this. Person A loves person B, uh, but doesn't realize that person B is may or may not be a killer." And then we find out at the end of the movie, you know, that that whole little like question mark. Ooh. Did he or didn't he? Did she or didn't she? Yeah. That, that, that was the beginning of that. And he went on and he did that in f- like five different films.
1: He really did. Oh, And Esther House also went on to write Showgirls later on. Yeah. But uh, before that, we have Jagged Edge. This is from 1985. This stars uh, Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges. This was directed by Richard Marquand, who, of course, directed uh, Return of the Jedi. And then died. And then died. And this is, you know what, this is a cool little edgy thriller. You know what, this was highly acclaimed at the time, and it's still a good movie. It's with yeah. Peter Coyote also, and Robert Loggia, yeah. who I was making fun of yesterday.
0: Really? You're making what? fun of Bob Loja.: I'm Robert Loggia.
1: <laughs> this is Robert Loja. Hello. He's I'm a- Robert Loja.:
0: You know, but is there a more magical moment in his career than the piano scene in, in Big?
1: That's awesome. Oh. It's a great scene.
0: Yeah. He was in Scarface. Anyone who's in Scarface Wait, there was a Big? piano
1: scene in, Gar- in Scarface?
0: Anybody who can wind up in Scarface and in Big and in, uh, in uh, 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 Lost Highway, David Lynch's Lost Highway. Yeah. Anybody who can walk that line between those three movies, I'm sorry, you rule. <laughs> Seriously. That's, like, that's everything. Those are all movies.
1: Robert Loja. There you go. Anyway, San Francisco uh, uh, socialite is uh, murdered, and um, who did it? We're gonna find out. Oh, yeah. We're gonna find out, thanks to something in the closet. Wade. remember? There's something, something in the closet. In the closet. Uh, good movie. There's yeah. no extras on this thing, but I would
0: definitely give this a rental because it is a terrific movie. Fabulous. Uh, Money Train is uh, is something that you should absolutely not rent. This is uh, <laughs> I can't believe this thing is actually on Blu-ray. Like who? who with all the things you can put on Blu-ray, Columbia. What, why would you do this? Uh, Columbia has this deal basically with Image where uh, a whole bunch of stuff in their library that they just don't see any value in, they're letting Image put it out on Blu-ray. Basically, that's the arrangement. Uh, but a lot of it is good. Like Jagged Edge, what we just talked about, is part of that streak. But Money Train, for crying out loud, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson re-teaming uh, after uh, you know, White Men Can't Jump and uh, making an absolutely horrible movie. With Jennifer Lopez... To boot, but she 's kind of wasted, and they 're all wasted for crying out loud. Um, you know here basically the, here's the idea: they, you know Wesley Snipes and uh, Woody Harrelson are a couple of transit cops working undercover on the New York subway, and um, Jennifer Lopez is the girl in the middle, yo, and um, there's a heist involved, and it's just it's just so uninteresting.
1: I disagree and it's it's this you know, is a great movie.
0: It's, yeah, it's terrific. And it, here it is on Blu-ray. And not very good Blu-ray, I might add. It's uh, really heavily chalky and uh, noisy in places. You just really see the compression, and I did not appreciate that.
1: Uh, you know, before Nicolas Cage became the Nicolas Cage, who we now know and hate, yes, there was another Nicolas Cage. Kind of
0: like Al Pacino. I they know. both have the same career trajectory. Uh, they, won, they both won Oscars, and then they started screaming and being weird. It's just the
1: worst. Uh, Leaving Las Vegas is finally on Blu-ray. This is a uh, you know what? It, this is it's a, it's a terrific film. Mike Figgis. It's a dark film, very dark. And in the movie, Nicolas Cage plays a um, an alcoholic who has essentially uh, gone to Las Vegas to drink himself to death. And you know, uh, while in Vegas, he meets a prostitute played by Elizabeth Shue. What people forget about this movie is that it's based on a book by uh, John O'Brien. No kidding. And, you know, uh, it, was, it was considered that the book that John O'Brien wrote, Leaving Las Vegas, that the novel was actually O'Brien's suicide note. Because you realize that a couple, really? you realize that a, a couple weeks after these, the book was optioned to be made into a film – uh, he kidding. committed suicide. No kidding. John O'Brien committed suicide. Oh my gosh! And the book was considered John O'Brien's suicide note after the option.
0: Yeah, like all that money. <laughs> What's I know. wrong with people? <laughs> I know.
1: Come on. Two weeks after learning his novel would be made into a film, he committed suicide. And the movie is about a guy who essentially goes to Vegas, to commit suicide.
0: That must have been one messed up dude. <laughs> yeah, really. Um,
1: but it's a, you know it's a terrific film, and we kind of we kind of goof on it just because it's Nicolas Cage and he's out of his mind now. But Leaving Las Vegas is a really good film. It is dark and it is brooding, and it just it just totally owns it. Totally owns it. It's about dependence and obsession, and it's just dr- and drug abuse and just it's a dark, dark movie, but it's good. Wow. Um, the Blu-ray has the uncut, unrated version, uh, which was uh, which is quite good as well. But you know, there's nothing wrong with the theatrical version. But uh, that's all it has. But I would wow. uh, very highly recommend Leaving Las Vegas. Don't worry about the Nicholas Cage, who's in the next film we're about to talk about, <laughs> worry about this Nicholas Cage back when he was an actor. Yeah.
0: Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, Mike Vegas, what's he done lately?
1: Uh, not much. He's well, kind of done, isn't
0: he? Yeah. Well, he did, he did like that. What was it? Timeline, timetable, time clock. What was that? With all the, with the four he's different – He's
1: only done – you know, he, he, he did an episode of The Sopranos, and he did a terrible thing called Cold Creek Manor. And that's kind of been it for him.
0: Well, no, there was a the thing with the four, the, 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 the four cameras, the four quadrants. Oh, time th- code. Time code. Thousand that two was in 2000. Oh, geez, that was... Well, anyway, he needs to, needs to do something, man. That guy had it going on, and then he just he walked did. away. He really did. Walked away. Well, the next film is another, another Nick Cage movie that came out uh, earlier this year and just died. And now it comes out with an exclusive, never-before-seen alternate ending. Oh, my gosh. Will that salvage Season of the Witch and actually make it watchable? No. Just marketing ploy. Makes no difference. Uh, There are zero extras on here. Nah, I mean, you know, deleted scenes and a featurette and uh, then that alternate ending. But uh, really, otherwise, as far as anything significant, nothing. This is a Blu-ray and digital copy combo. And uh, this is this weird kind of medieval video game-inspired thing with uh, Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman who's slumming it here for some reason. Um, You know, basically is uh, medieval knights who... uh, have to uh, you know help this woman get to a monastery? She's a cute. Everyone thinks she's a witch, and uh, you know they've, they've got to make this. Uh, oh, wait, that sounds like almost like a video game, wouldn't it? Be get from point A to point B. Hmm, interesting. Well, anyway, um, it's you know a supernatural action thriller piece of junk, and uh, I, I actually know a little bit about this film, and uh, I'm not sure how much I should should say, but let me just say. Uh, this had huge production problems Huge post-production problems And on top of that I believe there was a lawsuit Over the, uh, the material
1: You know, I don't none, know if, of, none
0: of All for naught Because it's a crap movie
1: I don't know if you realize this But N- Nicolas Cage Actually created his own Acting method
0: Yeah I know Screaming
1: It's called No he did He's, he, he's Supposedly We'll write a book about this someday It is called The Nouveau Shemantic Shamanic.
0: The, the Nouveau what's The
1: Nouveau Shamanic. I don't know. That is, that is the Nicolas Cage acting method. He literally it? invented this acting method, and that's what he uses.
0: And, and what, what does it consist of?
1: It consists of him being a horrible actor, but the thing is that <laughs> it's just, I mean, this is like no joke. It oh really is no joke. He's not method. He's got his own thing.
0: <laughs> and does it ferment?
1: You think I'm joking, don't you?
0: I just did just, sounds so silly to me.
1: Uh, I believe you are wrong. He, uh, he studied for six months. And, you know, looking at De Niro and Laurence Olivier, as models. But then, you know what? He's got a whole new thing. It's his yeah, own school of great. acting. He's going to write a book about it. Yeah, Nouveau Shamanic. Look it up, folks. Okay, fine. It's all true. Wow.
0: Whatever. <laughs> exactly. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. Uh, okay. okay. You know, uh, yes, um, sir. a highly underrated film is Hotel Rwanda. And that is also now out That's on. not
1: underrated. That's a good movie.
0: You know what? I've, I don't think Hotel Rwanda really got all the claim that it, uh, it deserved. Uh, Don Cheadle is terrific in it. Sophie Okonedo, in her Oscar-nominated performance, is just dazzling as his wife. I mean, she steals this freaking movie. Um, this obviously is all. Of, and Nick Nolte is, you know, basically a gruff, grumbly, you know, blue helmet UN guy who can't do anything to stop all the massacre. The, uh, it really is a terrific film uh, set in 1994 during the, uh, the whole Rwandan genocide thing with hoots, Tutsis and Hutus and it, it really this is the first movie that actually explained to me with some degree of satisfaction the difference between a Tutsi and a Hutu <laughs> which is unacceptable in any case it's silly it's like you know gang warfare you're from, you're from you know, 132nd street I'm from 131st street die and you know there it is makes no sense but the, the senselessness of it is what makes this such a great movie. It's it is really in a in a strange way inspirational in spite of the the horror that it depicts. Um, I wish it had been a little a little more rough. Uh, it's a PG 13 film, and you know you think how do you do genocide in PG 13? Pretty effectively, to be honest. Uh, written and directed by Terry George, actually co-written by Terry George along with uh, Kerr Pearson. But um, Terry George is a terrific guy. You know he uh, started basically his co-writer on uh, a lot of those uh, Jim Sheridan films. He and Jim Sheridan go way back. They're, it's the whole Irish thing, you know, like uh, Some Mother's Son and,
1: and... the Name of the Father? In uh, the
0: Name of the Father and all that stuff. That's, uh, that's their, their whole deal. And Terry George is a terrific guy. When I did that piece on uh, Gavras for the DGA Quarterly, he was one of the guys that I talked to because he kind of does Gavra's stuff, you know. He's very much working in the same milieu. And uh, just such a great guy. And he has been now laboring for years to get this... Uh, this movie off the ground. Remember the UN, UN guy who was killed in, um, in Baghdad right after the, uh, after the war? Uh, he's been trying to make a movie about that whole thing and, and just cannot get the money together. And, you know, somebody's listening to this. Please give him the money. Yeah. Seriously, Terry George is a great filmmaker and that'd be a great movie. You'll get it back.
1: So you, you're saying that somebody listening to this podcast will write Terry George a check.
0: I don't know. For $35 hoping.
1: million. Dollars. Hoping. Wait, before we talk about Barney's version, uh, let's ask another Star Wars versus oh, Star Trek question. Go ahead. Hit me. Hmm. See what we got. Yeah. Uh, the first emperor of the Klingon Empire. Yes. Was called A. Worf, B. General Chang, C. Kalis, or D. Krug.
0: Freaking Krug, I guess. I don't know.
1: No. You got to G- no. know. Chang, General Chang. Well, okay. This is process of elimination. It's not Worf because he was Obviously, a character on the show. Yeah. General Chang was a character uh, played by Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI.
0: Oh, see, I'd forgotten that.
1: Now, D. Krug, they probably, that's a bit of a joke, because they probably mean Kruga, South African, right?
0: Whatever, okay.
1: Well, you know, the actress who played the Borg Queen.
0: Oh, Alice Krieg.
1: Alice Krieg. Yeah. Although, although, is she K-R-I-G-E? Yeah, K R I E G. Oh, this is K-R-U. Okay, so you know what? That was actually a legitimate answer, Wade. I take that Thank back. You. Okay. Uh, but the answer is, of course, uh, uh Okay. Kind of like the shoe store. You know k yeah. uh, shoe sh- store? Sh-
0: sh- yeah, k shoe store. Oh, that's
1: Payless shoe store.
0: Okay. Shoe source.
1: Shoe source. How would you know that?
0: Because I hear the commercials. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Please. All right, Barney's version is a uh, terrific film. It's uh, kind of fun. It's with the... Paul Giamatti, who plays one of those guys who's like, you know, really kind of ugly and Jewish and flawed. (laughs) For some reason, like, hot girls like him. Uh, Giamatti won a Golden Globe for this performance for some reason. Probably his uh, little Jufro. It's all about the Jufro. Totally. Um, His uh, wife's played by Minnie Driver, and his father's played by Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman having a lot of fun here, and uh, it's a good movie. You know, this movie was um, written by the same guy who wrote The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. If you did not know that. I
0: did not know that. Which That's is a interesting. Uh, very good movie. Really good movie.
1: From uh, the 50s, late 50s. Anyway, so uh, this is all about Paul Giamatti. He's a great character actor, and when he takes the lead on something, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Special features include a uh, 92nd Street Y interview with uh, Giamatti and Annette Innsdorf. Uh, there
0: you go. Uh, a yes, commentary sir. with the director, Richard okay. J. Lewis.
1: And uh, it's good stuff. It's you know it's a funny it's a funny quirky little film. It's um, was also uh, nominated for an Oscar, best makeup, for some reason. So bizarre. By the way, which movie won? Uh, which? Here, here's a Star Trek question off yeah. the top of my head. Sure. Star Trek. Yes. The film series. Yes. Last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. Yes. Won its very first Oscar.
0: Isn't that fantastic? In, in what category? Makeup. That's right. It's Utterly bizarre. You know, we made fun of this movie when we first noticed that it was coming out, and we thought that's just bizarre because the the one sheet is all done up exploitation style, like it, like the, it is intentional. Here's the thing: the cover, the the one sheet artwork on the cover of this has those creases in it, like it's a, a folded up poster. Awesome. I mean, those you know the, the the little creases. It wants it wants to look like a movie from 1968, some exploitation drive-in movie. Why not? It's all intentional. Awesome. Um, we are of course talking about. Hobo with a Shotgun. Talk about the the self explanatory hobo with a shotgun. Starring right? Rutger Hauer as a hobo with and, a shotgun. And of course, the real title of this, I guess, would technically be Rutger Hauer is a dot dot, dot hobo with a shotgun.
1: I like this movie. You know what? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's really terrible, but you know what? It's over the top, and what? it uh, gives you what it says it gives you a hobo with a shotgun. It
0: is an exploitation Come film, on. exactly. Look, I mean, here's the thing: Rutger Hauer finally. He, was not, he wasn't bad in Batman Begins, honestly. It was not, that was not bad. No. I mean, it was kind of a minor heavy. But uh, here he's sort of wearing the grizzled look that he's now uh, aged into. And uh, this is actually a better film of its type, I think, than what Tarantino tried to do in uh, Grindhouse.
1: Really? You, yeah. you like this better than Grindhouse? I
0: think it's, I think it's a better um, mock exploitation film.
1: You just don't like.
0: Well, no, Tarantino. I thought I thought it was too polished. I I just thought it just it felt like it was trying too hard. And here they just said, we don't have any money, so let's just do this. Uh, let's just do this thing. You know, he's a hobo and he he pops off the train thinks he's going to He has make, a shotgun. He's, well, he's going to make a better world. And of course, it's just this horrible criminal nightmare where he lands and he gets himself a shotgun out of a pawn shop and uh, decides to go to town and clean things up. Wait. Little, little, you know. Charles Bronson, w- if he had been a better actor, and uh, if this movie had been made by a campier director, uh, thirty-five years earlier, maybe Charles Bronson would have been in this movie. Anyway, it's so on Blu-ray, a, uh, a, a with the digital copy if you ever wanted to kind of carry it around with you on your phone. But uh, you know, I mean, it's fine. It's it's a perfectly adequate Blu-ray transfer of a film that doesn't look that great to begin with. So you know, whatever. And then we also have, last of our uh, regular English language things, if you're a fan of Blood Rain, which I am not, the unrated director's cut of uh, Blood Rain, the Third Reich, is out. And wait, wait, uh, When
1: you see unrated director's cut, what director are you talking about?
0: We are, of course, talking about the one, the only, our favorite, your favorite, Uwe Boll.
1: It's everybody's favorite. Way.
0: Uh, he's just a horrible, horrible man. And uh, we've got nothing but bad things to say about Blood Rain. He's uh, going to come here and beat you up. Blood Rain, the Third Reich. I mean, honestly, freaking Uwe Boll. Uh It's all video game based, like everything that he does. And that's his uh, his bread and butter. And it's his one trick. And that's all he does. But uh, it takes place in, ni- in 1943, of course. And uh, it pits uh, Rain played by Nastasha Malta against the Nazis. And there it is. And it's a an Nouveau Bowl film, which should scare the daylights out of you. Blu-ray, irrelevant. DVD, even more irrelevant. Uh, Mark, TV or music? Let's do music, Wade. Let's do music. We'll rock with the music. Uh, Bad Company, uh, live at Wembley. And you know, I was just saying the other day, there are, there are more music festivals in the UK than anywhere else on Earth. There really are. It's unbelievable. Like here we've got, you know, uh, what's, what's, a, what's a Palooza and the, the other well, thing. Well, they
1: have Lollapalooza. Uh, well, Lollapalooza's is not around anymore. Yeah, well, no, they used no. to have like the – there used to be more. There used to be the Lilith Fair. Yeah. That's not around anymore mm-hmm. really. Lollapalooza is kind of like whatever. But they have Coachella. Coachella, which yeah. Is a big, which is a big one in Southern California. Yeah. And they have uh, – what else? Yeah,
0: no, what else? But, but, you know, like I remember the Us Festival. Yeah. yeah, well, in but the UK,
1: you're thinking like the Isle of Wight. Isle of uh,
0: Wight and, and uh, Glastonbury, and it's just, it's it's not, it's everywhere, they just, they love their music, and, uh, you know, Wembley Stadium is a soccer stadium, but man, it's a, it gets a lot of music action, and Bad Company, live at Wembley, uh, I'm, I've never been a huge uh, Bad Company fan, but uh, what a great
1: What, how dare you?
0: What a great performance this is, really, no, it is, it's terrific. Uh, you, you know, you watch somebody perform, especially in Blu-ray. I've said this before. Concerts, live performance, best use of Blu-ray there is. more oh, yeah. and, More so than movies. The audio just s- hums. Uh, you know, Youngblood and Seagull and Moving On, Shooting Star, Ready yeah. for love It's all good stuff.
1: You know who was playing at the – I went to the San Diego County Fair uh, over the weekend.
0: Yeah, and eight, – I'm surprised that you're alive and with us today awesome. after what you ate. I really am.
1: Don't be jealous. Uh, just because I ate fried Girl got cookies. And fried Kool-Aid. Why would, how do you fry Kool-Aid? Well, it actually wound up being kind of lame. I think what they did is they they took some sort of a spongy, like a sponge cake or something, and they dipped that in Kool-Aid and then fried that. So it was kind of lame.
0: So it's fried Kool-Aid-soaked pound cake. I,
1: I I wish it was pound cake. I think it was like some nasty Ralph's sponge cake or something. Ralph's being a big supermarket chain in California. It's, it was like that bad. It was lame. So I Ew. had um, I had uh, a fried um, Kool Aid. I had fried Girl Scout cookies. I had fried Twinkie. I had a fried Klondike bar. That was very good. It's just It's so vile. good. It Absolutely really it's vile, so good. Disgusting. I had chocolate covered bacon Ugh. and a Mexican funnel cake. Well,
0: I it, what, it, oh.
1: it's so good. How dare
0: you? Five food groups. <laughs> there you go. Uh,
1: but my point being is that uh, when we were there performing live. Uh huh.
0: Grand Funk Railroad. Oh, see, that's sweet.
1: We're an American band. That's right. We're coming to your town. That's right. We like to party, party down. down. Oh, We're yeah. American band. We're an band. And then, ourselves. on July 4th, I went on July 2nd, Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, July 4th, REO Speedwagon.
0: No kidding. I,
1: I would have loved to have seen that.
0: Yeah. On, get some. Love REO Speedwagon. Awesome. That was a big deal. Don't be jealous. Loving it. Uh, why are you... <laughs> You okay, ha- you, Because if, if I talk about it, then it's... I was going to make fun of you and See, exactly.
1: Okay, so there's... So you have so to talk about it. Sometime, I don't know if it was in the mid-90s or something, this guy came on the scene with this crazy new dancing tradition that Americans didn't know much about. Yeah. And it was Michael Flatley, and he has this show called Lord of the Dance. And it's a, it's a UK thing, and it's... It's, it's, Irish a, it's Irish dancing. It's Irish dancing. So great. I remember when Lord of the Dance first hit, yep. Michael Flatley performed at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. and In fact, I wonder what year that was. I should look that up. I don't know. Michael Flatley performed at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And literally, I thought it was absolutely the gayest, most ridiculous, <laughs> horrifyingly <laughs> bad, dreadful thing I've ever seen in my life. And then I wind up... Like at the commercial break, Wade calls me or I call Wade, yeah. whatever it was. And you literally said, did you see Michael Flatley? I just cried.
0: It was awesome. You literally cried. I thought, I thought it was awesome. You cried. It was a great moment. I
1: thought it was the most it – was, it was absolutely Armageddon. I think
0: that's Flatley hatred.
1: <laughs> yes, I flatly yes. hate him. Yes. That is true. I
0: know. A lot of people find do. out when
1: that was, Oscars. When did you perform at the Oscars?
0: Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to move through. 97. There you go.
1: That was – Fourteen years ago, I called you on the phone and you, I said, is that, "That
0: fourteen is years ago, ninety-seven. Oh my gosh!"
1: And uh, I said, "In uh,
0: fourteen years, I'm, I'm going to be dead, and you will—you'll be—I'll probably dead be dead too. Yeah.
1: You'll outlive me. You're like oh. the healthiest guy. Oh, here's the thing: you're, you're like the healthiest guy in the world. I eat fried foods. Yeah. you realize I'll outlive you,
0: probably, because there really is no—there's
1: just no rhyme, reason, or the god old, in these things.
0: I know there isn't. It's all genes. I know people in their forties who died of a heart attack with marathon running." You know, it's crazy. Uh, Aaron Copland, Fanfare for America, is uh, the first of a number of Naxos titles that I'm going to talk about here. Naxos does all this great music stuff, mostly classical opera, concerts, stuff like that. But every so often they come out with something different. They got a couple of really interesting different things this week. Aaron Copland, Fanfare for America, is a, an Andreas Skipis, uh I hope I pronounced that properly, Documentary about uh, the amazing American composer, possibly along with George Gershwin, the greatest l- American composer of all time. Uh, Aaron Copeland, of course, wrote a lot of music for Western movies and, uh, you know, certain, you know, symphonic mu- music that's very American, very Western sounding. And it has that, it's influenced so many other composers. And um, this is really, really interesting. It's got interviews with uh, his biographer, Howard Pollack, and uh, conductors and and all the people who worked with it's really it's just a really really terrific documentary about uh, a very very remarkable singular man, and if you love Aaron Copeland, you're definitely going to want to get a look at this. Uh, something else that's interesting here is uh, John Malkovich as Casanova. Uh, now, let me preface this by saying this is uh, not just a, it's not like a movie with John Malkovich as Casanova this is John Malkovich basically as Mozart's Casanova. And, um, you know, that's awfully strange. Uh, I'm still not sure how I feel about Malkovich singing, to be honest. Um, It kind of creeps me out a little bit, but uh, interesting, you know. This was uh, written and directed by Michael Sturminger, and it's called The Giacomo Variations. And it is... It's a, it's, it, here's what it is it's a it's what they call a chamber opera play and um, it combines a lot of inspirations and a lot of different source material and uh, it's kind of it's, it, 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 it's kind of groovy man you know um, Malkovich is, freaks me out but when he does interesting stuff like this I, you know it's sort of like Dangerous Liaisons on um, crack a little bit, yeah. I <laughs> uh, got a great a few more. the last Naxo stuff here. We got uh, from the Opus Arte series, La Traviata, uh, done by the Royal Opera, which is great, uh, absolutely fantastic, amazing sound. And I love La Traviata. I love the uh, the Zeffirelli film, but the you know seeing a, a live performance of it is even better. Uh, Handel's Theodora is uh, is another absolutely just magnificent piece. This is staged by Christoph Loy, and uh, you know Handel. Can, you can't go wrong there and then we also have uh, Verdi's Macbeth um, as staged by Dmitri Chenyakov and uh, this is at the Paris Opera Orchestra and Chorus and uh, it's quite good uh, I, I was unfamiliar with Verdi doing a, uh, a an opera version of Macbeth but uh, you know what it's uh, it actually kind of works it's you know Verdi channeling Shakespeare and uh, not bad little little weird Still have to kind of decide if I thoroughly like it, but it was interesting. And then Puccini's brilliant uh, Madame Butterfly has been released as Madama Butterfly, and uh, this was staged by Pierre Luigi Pizzi. And um, uh, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Madame Butterfly, but I I certainly appreciate it in uh, all of its many many nuances. That's a beautiful Blu-ray to look at, but you know you have to love Madame Butterfly to really really get into it. And uh, then all from the Art House music line is uh, Puccini's Tosca, which is just one of the great operas of all time, uh, directed for the stage by Hugo Diana and done with the orchestra and chorus of uh, the Arena di Verona, conducted by Daniel Oren. Absolutely gorgeous. Brilliant Blu-ray. Tosca is uh, top-notch stuff. And then lastly, also from Outhouse music, is uh, La Petite Danseuse de Degas, which is Degas' Little Dancer. And uh, this is a really absolutely fantastic ballet uh, done by the National uh, ballet, uh, Opera Ballet of Paris and the uh, National Orchestra, Op- Opera Orchestra of Paris. Really beautifully done. Very, very nice. Uh, great choreography. Uh, First-rate Blu-ray. Through and through. So a lot of great stuff from Naxos there.
1: Wade, um, when I was a kid, I had lousy taste in music. I, I admit it. Yeah. Everyone was going for the Led Zeppelin. The, and you were uh, doing what? Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, everyone loved that. Although yeah. I, did, I did love The Who. Uh-huh. But I also loved The Doobie Brothers.
0: Oh, Doobie
1: Brothers. Lame. Um, they have a new CD out, or a new CD, a new uh, DVD out called totally. uh, The Doobie Brothers Live at the Greek Theater 1982 Farewell Tour. Now, what people don't remember about The Doobie Brothers is that uh, they actually started with another lead singer. It wasn't always Michael McDonald. This, um, they started with this guy, Tom Johnston. And at the time, they were kind of much more of a, kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, rock, a real rock and roll band, you know. Sure. Uh, but Johnson, uh, Johnson wound up with some health problems and he was replaced by Michael McDonald. And Michael McDonald is the Dewey Brothers um, lead singer who, well, he kind of did. I mean, I do love some of their stuff like "Taking It to the Streets and China yeah. Grove. But all of that stuff, which is much more kind of soft, rocky stuff, yeah. that was all Michael McDonald. Yeah. Uh, but they had a lot of hits. They were really popular. I remember uh, the uh, the Doobie Brothers' Greatest Hits album was like everybody had the Doobie Brothers' Greatest Hits album. Everybody. Totally. It was like you How just had to not? have it. How could you not? And uh, so here it is. This is uh, their farewell tour from 1982. This was uh, shot up in uh, Berkeley. And it's got all their crazy songs. Uh, listen to the music and uh, Long Train Running, Black Water, which is is kind of their... their, Black Water is kind of the signature song of the old period, the Tom Johnson period. Um, Because, you know, Wade... Yes. The thing with Black Water... Yes. It keeps on rolling. Totally. The Mississippi moon. Oh, yeah. It's going to keep on shining on me.
0: But let me just say, are we going to keep on rocking in the free world?
1: No. You don't know
0: nothing. I'm transitioning. I'm transitioning, dude. To what? To Neil Young.
1: I like Neil Young. Keep on rockin' the free world. Y- yes, he can't sing, but the thing with the rock <laughs> and roll is that it's not about the actual... I know. It's not like opera. Okay, Tom Waits is not going to be performing in an opera, but thank goodness Tom Waits is around to sing hey, rock and roll.
0: Malkovich just played friggin' mozart's casanova yes he did um here we are in the years neil young's music box this is a uh, two-hour documentary on neil young and uh, no it's not great but it if you're a neil young fan you're not gonna care it just covers all the necessary bases and um uh, you know it's uh what else is there to say it is uh it's not um it's not approved shall we say by neil young or anyone close to him but it's pretty faithful and pretty complete and pretty comprehensive and uh Uh, You know, it hits all the major beats, and it kind of makes you appreciate what he does, despite the fact that the guy just can't sing.
1: How dare you? That's an outrage.
0: I know it is. And then we also have uh, One Night Only live uh, at the Royal Albert Hall, the Ames Gala. And this, of course, harks back to uh, 1988, when uh, Bill Wyman... Uh, basically organized a uh, just a fantastic collection of talent, and uh, they all performed at the Royal Albert Hall, which I have walked around many times. It is uh, it's quite a venue, and it's right there in the right in the just most beautiful part of London, right near Hyde Park. And uh, you know who you know who was involved in this? You know who got roped into this by Bill Wyman? I mean, this is the, what happens when you're uh, when you got friends.
1: Oh, George Lucas.
0: Well, Bill Wyman obviously, and Ronnie Wood obviously. Uh, but uh, also Chrissy Hind, Eddie Grant, Elvis Costello, who we're also going to talk about here in a second, Phil Collins, uh, Terrence Trent Darby. What happened to him, man? Yeah. yeah, Wishing well. That's it. One hit wonder. Wishing
1: well. (laughs) (laughs) The hell was that?
0: That guy had it really going on. I don't know where he went. He was like going to be the next prince, wasn't he?
1: Oh, God, no.
0: You don't think? Who said that? I don't know. I, I said that. This is cuz they're both African American. Oh, yeah, the next No, place. he had he had those moves. He had that like whole prince thing going with the whole performance deal. I don't know. Guess, guess He
1: was just... not the guitarist that well, Prince anyway, was. anyway. No, there that's is. true.
0: That's true. Oh my gosh. But anyway, it's uh, pretty terrific. So, uh one There you go. You, you that's the Ames freaking Gala live at the Royal Albert Hall.
1: Wait, here's the thing with the Radiohead. Yeah. Uh Radiohead uh could have been the uh one of the greatest bands, most ever. popular bands ever. I know uh, But they decided They didn't want to do that and What did they want to do? They wanted to just Do their own thing That's it And yeah. they didn't care If they sold records or not
0: I kind of respect that. And
1: I do respect that. So, uh, I mean, I love Radiohead. I loved OK Computer and a couple of the other earlier albums and a couple of later ones from OK Computer. Um, but they sort of started to climb up their own butt a little bit, and uh, I kind of started to lose interest. And then bands like Coldplay kind of took that sound and made it into the top 40 thing that Radiohead refused to do. And um, we now have a two-disc set called Radiohead Arms and Legs. And what... I like about this, docu- this uh, DVD is that it's two documentaries. One is uh, The Making of Radiohead's OK Computer, and the other is uh, called Homework, and that's just a documentary about the making of the band. Both of these have been out before. They are packaged in this two disc set. However, nowhere on the two disc set, nowhere on the packaging, does it say that what is contained herein are two previously released. Documentaries. So Ooh. if you're buying Radiohead Arms and Legs thinking that this is all new material, none of it is new. Wow. It is all. Uh, it is Radiohead's OK Computer, the documentary on the making of that, and uh, Radiohead Homework, which is a traditional documentary on how the band formed. Uh, wow. This is not new stuff, and I'm very surprised that um, they would actually go ahead and do this. Uh, but there you go. If you don't have them, though, it's a cheap way to get both in one package, Radiohead Arms and Legs.
0: Fantabulastic. What? Uh, You know, Mick Jagger's Glory Years, The Roaring Twenties, is an interesting 106-minute-long, unauthorized documentary that focuses on Mick Jagger's twenties. It's really not interested in his life. It's not interested in the Rolling Stones. It's just Mick Jagger during his twenties. Kind of an interesting risk as a documentary because it's uh, being unauthorized. They they just don't have access to uh, all the material that would necessarily... Really make this super interesting, but if you're a Mick Jagger fan, you're definitely going to want to get it. It certainly has some uh, some compelling stuff in it, and especially in the uh, extras. The extras have a lot of really great little uh, archival things that they went and dug up, and uh, that I thought I, I think is really very impressive. Uh, you know, photographs and and uh, film and video. It's really you know some interesting stuff here. So not great, but archivally and historically probably uh, compelling enough that if you're a fan, you're going to want to check it out. Oh, hello. Yes.
1: Elvis Elvis Costello for a number of years now has had a show on Sundance Channel called Spectacle.
0: I would have expected him to be more a lifetime kind of guy.
1: Well, it's very clever. See, spectacle means, you know, it's a spectacle. It's a thing to see. And he wears glasses. glasses. I get it. Uh, Spectacle, Elvis Costello, season two, two two-disc set. This is really terrific stuff. This is Costello. Uh, interviewing and playing with some great folks, including uh, Bruce Springsteen, John Prine, Bono and the Edge, Sheryl Crow, Levon Helm, Nick Lowe. Actually, I saw Elvis Costello uh, and Nick Lowe at Royal Albert Hall
0: no, in really? London. My,
1: my very first trip to London in 1989. Yeah, I saw Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, and I remember Nick Lowe. Uh, I just hit the mic. Yeah. Uh, Nick Lowe had one hit. Wow. It was uh, Cruel to be Kind. That was his hit. That was, he was a one-hit wonder. A really talented guy, but basically a one-hit wonder. Yeah. And I remember he comes out, he says, now I'd like to play a medley of my hit. And he plays. That's great. And then Elvis Costello comes out, right, 1989, mm-hmm. plays his uh, stuff. About half an hour through the show, somebody calls him a wanker. Somebody yells from the crowd at the Royal Albert Hall.
0: And he shot them. No, he left. Oh, really? That's it. Wow. Show's over. No kidding. That's it. Wow. Bizarre. Uh, Rick Wakeman, made in Cuba, is is pretty interesting. If you uh, if you're not fond of Castro, you're not necessarily going to want to watch this. But Rick Wakeman, you know, uh, has never really been like a a above the headlines A-list guy, but hugely influential uh, on a lot of major artists. And uh, Rick Wakeman has a, a band called the New English Rock Ensemble. And they were invited in 2005 uh, to perform in Cuba. So they like, were like, okay, sure. So they went and they did it. And it's kind of a, it's sort of a propaganda thing, but um, it's a great bunch of performances and uh, really one of the most significant uh, live rock concerts ever to take place in Cuba. So, I mean, it is, it's significant in some sense, uh, assuming you can kind of get past the political uh, uh, you know, aspect of it. But uh, stuff performed here include uh, the recollection and uh, the spaceman, uh, Catherine Parr, uh, King Arthur, Cathedral of the Sky. If you know anything, you know Starship Trooper, Worm. If you know anything about uh, Rick Wakeman, you kind of know what to expect. And uh, it's not for everybody, but uh, again, you know, it's uh, it's something. First big concert in Cuba. Can't ignore that.
1: I can, and I
0: will. Of course, you can. Uh, well, in the little time that we have left, why don't we uh, knock out some television? Let's aren't? do it, Wade. Let's do it. All right, uh, Mannix, uh, the fifth oh, season. Oh, God, you know what? I,
1: I know. love Mannix. It's a great show. Well, I, I grew Boy, up on was this. Mannix
0: great! He was a good. He was a good detective. I grew up on <laughs> it this. He was a good. De-
1: yes, Wade. At the end of every episode, he solved the crime. Well, he was truly a good detective. But
0: Look, like detectives on TV today, they've all got to be chiseled and they all got to look like GQ models. And you know, this is back in the day when you could have Jim Rockford. Right? And he was grizzled, and he was, he was crusty, and he wasn't I rich. Loved, and, you
1: know what? Jim Rockford was the first I, – I, we've said this before. He was yeah. the first TV detective I remember who every episode got the crap kicked out of him. Yeah. Every episode he just yeah. get the crap kicked out of him. I love that because no, like, no, no other TV detectives up to that point would ever get into a fist fight and just totally. lose. Totally.
0: And I and I like Mike Connors, you know. Uh, he, he had a he had a real kind of tough beat cop attitude going, and uh, show Wait, the, the show sucked.
1: Here, here's another question from the Star Trek quiz.
0: Okay, fine. Oh <laughs> uh,
1: my God. Okay. Now, do you want a Star Trek question or a Star Wars question?
0: Give me a Star Trek question, because I, right. I can't answer the Star Wars questions. No. There are always things like, on the planet Floop Nguyen, <laughs> uh you know, what what do how many does it take to mate to produce a global flob? I don't know that crap.
1: Ooh, you know, you might know this one because it's from Star Wars. Yeah, whatever. The Imperial officer whom Darth Vader choked because he found his lack of faith disturbing mm-hmm. was A, Admiral Motti, B, Grand Moff Tarkin, C, Admiral Akbar, D, Owen Lars. Owen Lars. No, I'm going to say it was Grand Moff Tarkin because no, it's not Admiral Akbar, He was Tarkin. that crazy one. God. Owen Lars is like Luke's v- uncle or something. Whatever. Uh, it could be Admiral Matti. I've never heard of him I'm going for Grand Moff Tarkin It's not It's Admiral uh, Matti. Okay here we go you ready Grand, here? Moff-
0: Grand Moff Tarkin was Peter Cushing Oh really? Yeah
1: uh, In Star Trek 2 The Genesis device was developed on SETI Alpha 5 Sp- uh, Regular 1 Deep Space Nine Or Yavin 4 uh, Regular 1 Yes Oh my god Why'd you have to think of that?
0: I, I don't know
1: Star Trek 2 is my Casablanca
0: Yes I know it is you're a strange man. Uh, Dynasty, the fifth season, volume two. You love it?
1: No, and neither do you. Uh,
0: <laughs> you know, I, it's so trashy. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, no, this is actually this is actually uh, this is something very interesting. This is not just a half a season. This is a double pack, and, and I find this really fascinating. They released a double pack of Dynasty, the fifth season, volume one, and Dynasty, the fifth season, volume two now, um, if you put it on the shelf the wrong way, it's just going to look like Volume 1 or Volume 2. And that's kind of stupid. I don't know why they didn't do this together, but here's the thing. Clearly, they, had, they came to their senses, and they said, Wade and Mark hate it when we do this. Let's just, do it, let's just package it together. So this is, in fact, Dynasty the 5th season total, but in a uh, shrink-wrapped uh, double-half pack, if that makes sense. They're calling it the Dynasty Season 5 value pack. I think it's insulting that they're calling it a value pack just because it has the whole season in it. That's lame. But Wait, he,
1: he, here's another question.
0: Yeah. No one cares about Dynasty. By the way, it's a whole new Fallon. That's, it's, that's it, it's really lame. The, the, it doesn't really work without uh, Pamela Sue Martin. She, great. They need Pamela Sue Martin to be Fallon.
1: That's, that's a great way. Uh, in Star Trek, the original series, crew members wearing red shirts were yes. part of, A, the science division. These are crew members wearing red shirts. Yes. A, the science division. Yes. Uh, B, the command division. Yes. C, engineering and support services. Yes. Or D, the short timers club.
0: <laughs> it's actually the short timers club, well, yeah. it's but it's engineering. It's it's, it's like stuff. Engineering and support services. Yeah, that yeah. is true. Yeah. <laughs> but it is mm. the short timers club. That's pretty great. I enjoyed that. We're running out of time here. Wait, uh, we have all,
1: look at, look at these well, two. Yeah, these okay. Two. Pull map,
0: pull map. Well, I mean, uh, go on, for it. Seriously. Go for it
1: well yes. I, I've never seen this show you talk about it
0: well yeah true blood you know too many vampires in our lives right now but this is the uh, the whoppingly beautiful blu-ray version of True Blood the complete third season uh, I, you know what I just young sexy vampires I'm so over it but uh, look what can I say the show's a hit and uh, who am I to judge it Alan Ball has done uh, wonders with it and he's now threatening uh, on top of that to uh, put this in 3d at some point so whatever. Uh, but th- this is a, this is really, really very, very good looking on Blu-ray, and uh, they've done a, a lovely job with it. And hey, look at that. Season uh, 4 has just started. Wow. 9 p.m. Sundays. How about that? Crazy coincidence. Uh, a lot of great features on here. Uh, a lot of terrific extras, uh, but of strictly of interest to people who just can't get enough of this show. Just listen to the commentaries and watch the featurettes and go crazy. Spend your life just uh, being obsessed with True Blood and then before we completely run out I'm uh, going to talk about a show that I did not think would last and bloody hell it, it's lasting and uh, this one also just started its new season that's Laura Linney in The Big C which is all about a woman with cancer and I thought to myself Showtime you are gutsy but uh, this thing is just not going to handle especially on Mondays everybody is depressed on Mondays because they've started work again oh great look start of a work week it's Monday what am I going to do I'm going to watch a show about cancer I thought y- y- dead in the water and you know what Damn, this show is working. It's working, Mark. Laurel Linney. Yeah, and it's got uh, Gaddy Sadibe on it. So you know, uh, uh, she's getting work after the. Uh, I was because I was thinking, is is she really going to get any work? No, because
1: she has a very, very, very specific look. Yeah, which is to say, she's obese. Yeah. So you gotta I, I be able. I just thought to... after
0: after Precious, how, how's that woman? going to... I mean, she is Precious. What else is she? Well, she's, she's got a part on this show, and it's terrific. So uh, definitely check it out. Laura Linney is just one of the great actresses of all time, and uh, you got to check that out. So there it is. That's our show. Uh, we have dedicated this to Jeffrey Rosado. Once again, Jeffrey, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, uh, you are a fan, and we were a fan of yours. Uh, God bless.